0: I'm Allison Knowlton-Mason.
1: I'm Stanley Bradley, and we're friends turned family, getting together to tell stories, laugh, observe,
0: and think. This is the family meeting. Okay, so we are excited to be welcoming another fun guest, a member of our family from a a much longer ago. We haven't like connected in a while. Um, And so we're excited to have Christina Jarvie with us today. Welcome, Christina. (laughs) It's so good to see you. Um, start by telling us, like, just give us, give the audience, our illustrious audience, um, some background. How do you know us and what are you up to right now in life?
2: Yeah. So we go way back to ATL circa 2004, is it? I think that's, yeah, yeah. Uh Um, and I do believe Allison, you introduced yourself to me um my first week of teaching and I don't even really remember much of the encounter because I was so <laughs> flustered and like but you were so patient like I think that you are one of my extrovert I tend to be like a little introverted I just withdraw and like mm-hmm. um but you didn't give up on me and well I, think- I was
0: like this is a new Teach for America teacher I was like I feel like I need to like bring her into the fold because I was not that warmly welcomed as a teacher, for America teacher and so I was like let me let me say hi to this girl and see if we can maybe be friends and here we are and I'm
2: so glad you did (laughs) um so yeah we became friends um at Benteen Elementary School yeah a long time ago and Stan I met Stan through you and I remember many dinners I remember serving you artichokes I think Stan or meatballs or something Sicilian in my apartment um yeah in Buckhead I remember
1: yeah you know my mom still makes pumpkin roll so Aww. Yeah, like, is obsessed with pumpkin roll. I think we have it every
0: Thanksgiving now. So, Aww.
2: and then Allison and I lived together for a period of time. You were in Buckhead with me too for a little bit, weren't I you? I was,
0: yes, because my we were already talking about lo- move, moving in together, and then mm-hmm. my landlords were going to raise my rent. And so I was like, ah, eh, I can just like finish out your lease with you, which, you know, that was the only time I would ever live that far north in Atlanta. I was like, a east east kind of girl. I like, like the east side. So, uh, what are you up to now, Christina? So now I am, um, I
2: wrote, I'm a mother, teacher, wife, gardener, and generally a cultivator of life. I think, I think that is what I am. I cultivate life, right. Whether it be, you know, in my family and my, my children, um, or in my garden with my plants or my students. Um, I just, I had taken some time off to raise my um, son, and this past year um, was my first year back teaching in the classroom, Um, and we started virtually, and that was really tricky, Um, but you know, I I don't think I was in person until April, um, but was still able to cultivate life, right? And Mm -hmm. to encourage these kids, I'm a fifth grade teacher, so it's kind of a fun age um, where kids are just starting to like figure out who they are and make choices, Um, about who they want to be, and they're really able to, like, think deeply, and so I've had um, just a lot of fun, right, Mm -hmm. like, inspiring kids and challenging them and equipping them with the tools that they need to, like, Mm -hmm. take that next step into middle school, which Mm -hmm. we all know (laughs) is the (laughs) best time of life, (laughs) said no one ever, Um, but, like, if you can get that solid foundation, right, like, the choices that you make are a little different, so I Mm -hmm. actually just had one of my students, um, uh, he had a graduation party yesterday and like he's going off and doing this Verdo um, thing. I, I'm not sure, I don't know much about it, but like, anyway, it, it's just those connections that you make um, with mm-hmm. students and seeing it play out long-term and then being old enough to remember and be able to come back and say like, you know, that was, a that was really my fifth grade teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that has been amazing. But um, this year was a little wild. Yeah. I mean, no. I will
0: say you are one of the best teachers I have ever experienced I, in person. I was just going to say that.
1: I. And I like I'm, I'm so fascinated now because I want to have a different conversation with you, <laughs> because I know that you were brilliant at early childhood. Like,
0: yes. Kindergarten. You were one of the most
1: amazing kindergarten teachers. Yes. And so I really am fascinated. And this may have to be offline, but I'm really fascinated. And I kind of want you to talk a little bit like what is that transition like from. Kindergarten to fifth grade. What has that been like?
2: I mean, I think good teaching is still good teaching, right? Like yeah, they're still you still have to treat them like they're deaf aliens. Um, but they're really <laughs> helpful. They're helpful in a different way, right? Like yeah. they can blow their own nose, right? Or yeah. tie their own shoes, you know. Um, but I think. I think for me, my belief that like human beings are fundamentally good and kind and like want to do the right thing, right? Um, you just capitalize that on that with older older kids, like, and you kind of ask yourself, who do you want to be? Like, what kind of life do you want to live? And that just sort of intrinsically motivates them. So it's, it's a little different. You don't have to like be, you don't have to have as many concrete motivators, right? For kids, you can really tap into the intrinsic piece. But yeah, I love it. I love fifth grade. Fifth grade and kindergarten are my two favorite grades for sure.
1: Yeah. And that's so funny because some people are just, some people have that instinct, like you're either primary or you're upper grades, but I'm, I'm glad to see that you're, that you're doing both. You're dispelling that myth. <laughs> and I know you're doing a great job at it.
0: Um, So to pivot slightly to the topic for today, we're talking about place. And part of the reason we asked you to join us for this conversation is because we knew you in a very specific place in your life. And now you are, and and even then, and I was thinking about this yesterday that like, even then you were very oriented towards home, um, in a way that I am not always right. And I'm not oriented to my hometown in the same way. And so I always thought that was super interesting. And then the fact that you transitioned back, I would love for you to just like talk, um, about like, what's your place of origin and how does it like shape, who you are now, where you are now?
2: Yeah, so I think my place of origin, um, I was born in Chestertown, Maryland, and I wanted to acknowledge that it was originally inhibited by the Ozini tribe, um, which was a Native American tribe that inhibited the, um, sort of like along the Chester River um, of the Eastern Shore. And Churchill, which is where I currently reside, um, there's no evidence that Native American tribes were, you know, exactly you know, in this location, they likely were, um, they, it was probably Ozini tribe or, or, another, um, tribe that, that hasn't been, um, discovered yet, but I did want to acknowledge that, yes, my place of origin here is, is Chester, you know, Chester Maryland, mm-hmm. Churchill, Maryland, um, but that it was, you know, originally inhabited by other, other folks. Mm-hmm. Um, now my, uh, my, I grew up on the Eastern Shore here um, in Churchill, but my father immigrated from Dalia, Sicily. My daughter's name is Dalia. I named her after the town where he was from, um, and so there's a very um, big, like, part of me, right, that claims that place as as my place of origin. Because even though she, you know she immigrated with my father, in, goodness, I don't know, it was probably 1958 or nine. He was he was seven or eight years old. Um, it's still a part of, of who I am and it influences choices that I make. And um, so I claim that as a piece of my um, origin and Sicily, the, 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 the town where they're from um, is very small and there isn't a whole lot there and folks there are, are, you know, they don't have a lot of material wealth. And so I think all of those pieces, you know, have sort of influenced um, me. It was mountainous. Um, and then my mom, uh, she grew up in Pennsylvania, and I was very close with my mom's mom, and she was a Pennsylvania farm girl. And farming mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania is not very easy, um, and so it's very, you know, sort of the terrain is rocky. Um, and so I think I, you know, from that, I from that place, I learned a lot about, um, you know, working hard and taking what you have and doing something with it, right. Um, so I think I claim all three of those places as, as, as my place of origin, right, but rooted like in the eastern shore. My Nona lived with us um, when I was younger. And so I think, um, you know, I think all of these elements of identity um, are sort of woven in all of these places. But again, they sort of took root on the eastern shore. And that's sort of why I always had this
0: tug and this pull um, back to this place. So again, we knew you when you lived in Atlanta, which, uh, how long were you in Atlanta? Three four or four years? years, yeah, four. What, so, and did you, did you go from Atlanta back to Maryland or was there a stop in between?
2: Yeah, so I went from Atlanta. I sort of see this as being like my bridge time. Interestingly enough, I chose to, to leave Atlanta and go and get my master's degree um, and I wanted to move back to, I wanted to move closer to my family. So I chose to move to Washington, D.C. Mm, that's right. Um, and I was working at, um, the first all-girl public charter in the city. And I was able to get my master's degree and do that at the same time. And two weeks before I left, I met my husband. <laughs> God, God was like, so you've made this choice to move. <laughs> and now you're, and he lived in Atlanta. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So he was, was cause Ohio. he's a pilot.
0: So he was just visiting or something or passing through.
2: We met at a wedding in New Jersey. (laughs) So just a girl who I had gone to college with, um, grew up with Jason Mm -hmm. and she and I were roommates in college. And so we met at her wedding and then we moved. And then, so I, this guy is like a pilot and he's from Atlanta and i've got 2 weeks left in the city and so we were like how can we see each other like mm-hmm. every day that you're around so we can figure out if this is worth it or not and then i was going on a road trip remember like i <laughs> drove all the way across the country so oh, we decided right. <laughs> it was wild so we decided you know what we we like we like each other this is this is worth it Um, And so then we dated long distance when I was living in Washington, D.C. And then he would, you know, fly back and we sort of flew back and forth and visited each other. And then after we got married, we would drive back over to the eastern shore and visit my family. And so when when we did that, I mean, we would just relax and just have a great we just felt so grounded. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that's the only thing that I have to say about the eastern shore. Um, There was no traffic, like it's, you know, there's a lot of um, natural like wildlife and Mm -hmm. river and things like that. And so we just made the decision, you know what, let's just move. But I I had a job that I really loved. Um, I was the director of curriculum instruction and assessment at a a school. Um, And so I decided to commute for a year. Um, But after that, you know, we kind of uh, decided that was a little too much. And then that's when I switched to fifth grade and I taught um, taught fifth grade for five years before I had Joey, so. All right. I oh, think wow. it was a bridge, that period, it was a bridge, right? Like mm-hmm. that time in Washington, It sort of, it, Jason and I, um, you know, we were able to get married and I think we sort of started to see you know, those transitions illuminated for us what we valued.
0: Mm. And where's he from?
2: He's from Wisconsin. He's from Cedarburg, Wisconsin. So he, it it, it was more familiar. It, you know, Cedarburg is a smaller town. It's just north of Milwaukee. Um, but the traffic, I, I think it was just, you know, DC traffic um, was just a lot for, for us.
1: Um, I like that idea, though, that you talked about of a place grounding you because I feel like that's what some places just do like even you know like we enjoy places but I really feel like that idea of just being grounded that's making me think about as much as I as much as I love Atlanta the place where I feel most like at home and myself is in Alabama is right is like where is like in where my parents grew up, Tranna, which is not the house that I grew up in, but it's the place where my family always gathers and comes together. And so even though I love Atlanta and Atlanta is feels like home, that idea of being grounded in some place, I think is something that we all kind of strive for. Even if it's not something that I feel like it probably came a little more natural for you because you were born there, your family's still there. I think that's a that's a really interesting concept. I like that idea.
0: Yeah. It's interesting though. I think as I'm listening to you guys talk, I'm like, I don't know that I have a place like that. Like, I don't know that I have a place where like I get there and I'm like, you know what I'm saying? And I think it's just interesting. Like, this is just dawning, dawning on me listening to you all. But I think for me, I have always just been like a super independent person. Like I'm an Aries, which I think is one of the main characteristics of Aries is being independent. And I try, I think, and I think I, I, I made some notes about this to talk about later, but like, I'm, I like to nest and I like to like set up a place pretty quickly. Um, when I moved to Miami, I moved on a Thursday and I was completely unpacked by the end of day Sunday. Cause I was just like, I don't think I like it here at the very least. I need my apartment to feel really good. And so I think that that's so interesting. I I may have to come back to this later in the episode, but I'm just like, I feel like I tried to like ground myself where I am. Um, and I think we talked about this in the first season when we talked about places, this idea of like feeling at home in your, in yourself, um, which takes nothing away from that, you know, like a, a grounding place. But I think for me, I tried to, because I don't feel tied to Akron. I think I I I did a lot of growing up in Atlanta and so I I have a lot of love for Atlanta and the, what it did for me, but I think as much as I didn't like Miami at first, I I did a ton of work to try and get comfortable in myself in Miami and then meeting Lance obviously had a lot to do with that. So it's interesting. I don't have a I don't have a closing on that thought, but that is that raises some interesting thoughts. I yeah. do think, again, if you think
1: about the three of us, the one thing I think common around our friendship is that we did have those families, again, that gave us those roots, right? Mm-hmm. So like, even though your family is kind of, like Akron was your roots. So even if it's not a place that's grounding, it's a place where you got your start. Right. And again, it's like having those roots allows you to transition and mm-hmm. have that, you know, have that idea that, wherever you are physically, there's still kind of this internal thing that's inside of you, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah. Christina, I would love to put that to you too, this question of like roots versus wings um, and how, like, I think Stan said it in the first episode about like, that those roots give you wings. And so I'm curious, like, how has this transition played, you know, all these different transitions: Atlanta, The Bridge and DC and back now in Maryland, play it out for you in terms of roots and wings. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think for, 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 for roots, right. I think, I think it goes back to identity, right. For mm-hmm. me, like at the end of the day, who am I and who am I changes and shifts, right. But there are certain components about me that, that aren't going to change. And so I think, um, you know, those are some of those roots. Like, I'm always going to try to be an achiever, no matter what, no matter what it is, no matter what what role I'm in, right? Like, that's just a part of, of who I am. Um, and I think that, you know, ha- having that strong identity and having that strong foundation, you know, has enabled me to make choices that align with you know, what I want versus what, or, or what, what my family needs versus what others might perceive as being like success or what I should be doing or shouldn't be doing. Like, for example, Mm. I mean, I took steps back. Like I, I was on like fast track. Like I was in a new leaders, new schools program to like become a, a principal in DC. And like, and I took some really serious like steps back and I had I um sort of moved into a more supportive role, like supporting my husband to achieve some of the things that he wanted. And I think if I didn't have that strong identity or the strong sense of self or the strong knowledge of who I am and what I'm capable of, right? Which is that's that roots part. Like if I didn't if I didn't know who I was, right, I might have felt like I had, I had to allow others to determine my worth and my value based on my profession Mm -hmm. right or based on what I could achieve professionally Mm -hmm. and so I took a big yeah so I took a big step back when I went back into the classroom um and then again when I just resigned to like (laughs) be a stay-at-home mom um so you know yeah I think I think but but it goes back to like you know what it is, what, what is it that, that I value? What is it that's going to give me and my family, the quality of life that we want and prioritizing that over, you know, money or being in some fancy city. I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) It's beautiful, but (laughs) so.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that is, that is really interesting that you talk about that transition from being like an administrator to like, you know, you tell most people who work in a school setting that you're going back to the classroom, they look at you like you have three heads, right, like it's, so that's something that's, I think that's really but like you said having that grounding and knowing okay this is the place where I need to be now. I think is super, it's super important you got to always just make the best decisions for yourself I think, and know what's important around your family so that yeah, that's pretty It's pretty impressive, actually, if you think about it in a lot of ways to be able to, because I'm sure there was pressure. People were like, are you sure this is what you want to do? And like you said, having that foundation to know this is what's important, I
2: think. And I think like the three words, it's grounded, right? Mm -hmm. Grounded and lifted, right? Like you can be both, right? You're grounded Mm. and you're lifted, right? And inspired you know, and then you can start being creed, you know, when you're able to be grounded, lifted and inspired, like you can, there's just a lot, you're living your best life.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I like that. That was the word. That was the word grounded and lifted. (laughs) That's That's the word from this episode.
0: (laughs) I'm curious. And this is like slightly off topic. And this is um, a little personal, honestly, like uh, that, you know, I'm in this, at the age and at stage in life where I'm like considering having a child and like you I'm I'm achievement oriented and so I'm curious to just hear you talk more about the intersection between your your achievement orientation and motherhood. Yeah, gosh. Which is not a it's question I hard. ask you in advance to prep for. Oh, but that is like no. what's top of mind for me right now. Yeah.
2: I mean, I feel like a failure every day.
0: Oh my gosh.
2: <laughs> every moment. No. Um I but also like I that's also me, right? Like being achievement oriented. Like you can't, like, it's just kids are um they're tough. Um And you kind of have to be there in the moment with them and take whatever they're giving and just try to do the best with it that you can. I mean, um, I think for me, when it comes to achievement and motherhood, I almost have to like, not even think about them together, right? Like, because, because if I did, I. I think I just would never, I don't know, I I feel like I would never feel like I was good enough or doing enough or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. So instead I, um, I just try to meet my kids where they are and try to, you know, understand what they're trying to communicate. And Mm -hmm. again, be with them, like in their moment, whatever they're feeling, whatever they're experiencing, and just moving forward through that. When I, when I first stayed at home with my daughter um, and my son, you know, he was little, so he, you know, needed to be fed. He needed to be changed. He needed to be bathed. Like it was pretty easy. Right. And I was exhausted, but like that was sort of how I measured my success. Right. Like my kid is, and Dahlia had a hole in her heart. Um, And so she was a little trickier. Like I had to, um, she had, it eventually closed, but, um, she had a VSD up until she was three years old and it made feeding very difficult for her. So like my mm-hmm. measure of success with her was like, how much did she drink? Like mm-hmm. how many ounces did this baby? And then like, what, what are her bowel movements and, you know, all of that lovely stuff. But, um, so, but as they get older, you know, that changes. So then you went, when I was staying home with Joey, I, you know, I was like, we had rituals and things that was sort of, you, you sort of have your day, you have your week and, all of those things sort of that was sort of how I, you know, we measured our success. And um, you know, and now that they're older and, and more independent, um, and 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 you know, it changes as you go on, but um, you know, in this moment, right, for me as a mom, like I just want them and during a pandemic, right, um, I want them to develop healthy coping mechanisms because life is hard and resilience right yeah. like resilience we gonna get through this you're gonna be all right baby you know like you are gonna be fine like you are not gonna starve I promise I promise you are not gonna starve baby um but daily picked up piano, like during the pandemic, but we did like virtual piano. And that was amazing to see, like tensions would build, right, things were uncertain, she'd hear Jason and I talk or check our phones or whatever. And she would like slip away and go play piano. And now the same thing happens, like if things get intense for her or she starts feeling a big feeling, she goes and plays her piano. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm done. I did my parenting duty. Like this child (laughs) is gonna be successful, right? Because maybe, hopefully, right? At least she has a health, healthy coping mechanism, right? I gave her that. <laughs>
0: right, right. I mean, the other thing I'll say just from creeping on your Facebook page is again, the combination of the fact that you're like such a good teacher and like the things that I've seen where you do like these like summer camps and things where again, sort of to, to pivot back to the place idea of like physical space yeah. and how you cre- like have taken your home and turned it into An actual camp. I think there was a theater production that Mm -hmm. happened or something. And so talk to me about like your physical place and how that like contributes to like your mental, emotional, spiritual uh, place for you and for the kids.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, this is my kindergarten teacher completely. Like they have a playroom, right. And they have like an art space. They have like a quiet corner with like books and stuffed animals and like sensory stuff for when they need to take a break, um, which they identify. I do not send them there. They,
0: Oh, these kids are going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like all the kids, these kids are going to be okay.
2: Yep. And you know, so like there's, it's set up like a kindergarten classroom basically. Um, so that is a space that helps the kids to be creative and to develop their language and to, you know, do 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 be kids, right? And grow. Um and then there's there's a bathroom that's tiled and they do like art stuff, like they can take anything. And I don't worry about like I don't worry about the mess. I don't, you know, it's just it is what it is. So that's kind of like their creative learning space. Um and then Jason. <laughs> we finished our basement for um, COVID because Mm -hmm. he's a pilot and it's like his quarantine space. And this is before we were all vaccinated. Nobody knew what was Mm -hmm. going on. Mm -hmm. My parents were watching Joey because he couldn't get into the school because of Jason's job. Anyway, there's this whole thing Mm. I was teaching. So we refinished the basement. So he would have a place to be. And he um, found a giant slide, like Like, um giant like hamster think like hamster slide like a yeah. yellow like curly like yeah. slide, like like the, you like know, at the playground yes or like a fast food restaurant right uh-huh. like, with a play place he installed it into our base so instead of going down the stairs the kids slide down the slide
1: well that's that is amazing that's adva- that's parenting like
0: that is advanced
1: that's graduate level p- parenting all of that <laughs> I am now planning to come to Churchill (laughs) and slide on the slide. Yeah.
2: Do you ever use it? I can. I do. It's actually faster. It's easier to get to the freezer.
1: (laughs) I feel like I would be like, kids, that's my slide. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. So they have a slide. And then we also have outdoor space, right? So we've got my garden, which is like very special to me. It's where Mimi is buried, my kitty cat. Mimi. (laughs)
0: Mimi. Oh, please, please share it with the people about Mimi, (laughs) because if I do it, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it right, because she and I I didn't have a great relationship. (laughs) (laughs) She didn't have a great relationship with anybody. She liked you, okay, Stan, right? Yeah, I think
1: she liked me, okay. She liked you.
2: Yeah, she, she was just like a Siamese cat. Um. Yeah, I, I, she was part Siamese. Um, she was white. They found her in a car. I'll never forget. I went to take her to get neutered. Um, and the vet called me um, in the middle of the day. And I was really worried something happened, but it turns out that she had a different anatomy and they wanted to make me aware of this. And I was like, what? I was like, I don't, anyway, I just, I have that very vivid um, memory about Mimi, but she had very strong opinions about people. Um, and she was a very good judge, generally, of character.
0: Um, I feel kind of away cause she didn't like um, She tried to bite me once.
2: Once, but there were yeah, other people true. who she did other things to. <laughs> well, Jason, when we were dating, she like, he got snowed in with me and we were settling in for the night. And she climbed up on his leg and urinated on him. Like, he was just like done. He was ready to kick her out of the apartment. So she never
0: did that to you. No, she didn't. And and the only reason she got, I was close enough to even almost get bit was because she had kind of walked over to me and like did this whole like, you can pet me, but apparently I did it wrong. And so, so in that sense, I guess I can say she tolerated me. He did
2: yeah yeah there were others that had other <laughs> anyway so uh-huh. she when we moved into this house she um developed some kind of like kidney issue um and so she passed away within the first like couple weeks of living here oh my gosh so we had a fake tree that um my uncle had like clipped from his fig tree we had like you know clippings and mm-hmm. they grow like if you have just like a you know, branch or whatever they root. So we decided to bury her under the fig tree. Um, and then now we have like three figs. It's like a fig grove and like herbs and stuff that we've planted. So we've ingested Mimi at this point. <laughs> She's probably like, my children
0: too. So. <laughs> that's like sweet and horrifying. At the Mimi, same time. Mimi is everywhere. <laughs> Mimi figs. Oh gosh. Um, Stan, what about you? How does physical space influence your place I think
1: um it definitely does it I um when I am like when my physical space is comfortable I'm comfortable right Mm -hmm. now I'm not always the neatest person or the most organized person ever so but at the same time when I get too unorganized and I get too uncomfortable then I have to fix that physical space Mm -hmm. so I think it's kind of like it's like a circle like a yin yang kind of thing And just thinking about, Christina's talking about her garden, which I want to hear more about. um, Outdoors. Outdoors. And I'm not like a let's go hike, let's go sleep outside kind of person. But I do think that being out, like, rejuvenates me in some way. Like, if I spend, like, a whole day inside, I'm going to be off. Like, I need to, I can, like, the older I get, the more I realizing like oh you're a little bit cranky because you haven't been outside today or mm-hmm. oh you're cranky because yeah like you haven't been outside today you need to go get some fresh air mm-hmm. that's what's wrong with you so I definitely think that like for me it's kind of like a circle thing it's mm-hmm. definitely a circle I don't know which one comes first but it's it all it influences each other
0: yeah 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 no I I completely resonate with that and I think it's funny to have Christina on the phone because I have I have not had many roommates in life um and i that's on purpose because i am a, kind of a terrible roommate like i like to be able to put my shit wherever i want and i don't want anyone to put their shit out and so <laughs> i was just apologize to you for being an awful roommate in that way but uh i had found seeing that it, i my toler my tolerance for mess has gone down over the years um because i used to be a, just a slob but as I get older, like that, like you said, that feeling of being uncomfortable because things are messy, it just like the barrier of that is just, it gets smaller and smaller. Um, and then living with Lance, who is like a, not a messy person at all. I then also have like side eyes from him to deal with. So then I'm like, well, okay, let me, let me clean stuff sure. up before I get a side eye from my husband. And I don't want to have to deal with that, but. Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely resonate with that same idea. And then I'm not an outdoorsy person like you, Stan. I'm not like a, I don't, I asked Lance literally yesterday if he wanted to go camping. I don't know why I asked him that. I think I saw somebody going camping and he was like, no. And I was like, <laughs> in my head, I was like, I don't either. So I don't know why I'm saying that, but I do care a lot about light. So that's my thing that I was reflecting on as I was prepping is that like, this is my office. I sit here you know, to do the business thing all day, every day. And I care so much about the fact that this room is bright. Like if this room was not bright, I don't know how would be able to be productive in here. Um, But I also realized that for me, brightness equals like achieving and like striving. And like when I want to be, when I want to rest, I don't want light. And for some reason, like those two things are like Connected, so it like I remember during Christmas break at some point we like watched, like did like a Marvel marathon, and I like we did that in the dark, like even though it was December in Miami, which is one of the best times to be in Miami because it's not like ninety trillion d- degrees. Um, we just like did it in the dark, and it felt so good. Like I was like that feels like the way to rest, which so is like a strange yeah. reflection that like rest equals darkness. Light equals work. I don't know where that comes from. Yeah.
1: It's something there. Cause like, right? Because like sometimes you just wanna you just wanna turn off the lights and light some candles and watch some TV. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And just kind of decompress.
0: Or just like have the light of the screen be the only light that you Yeah. <laughs> that you would take in that day. Like oh, I was yeah. thinking what you said about going outside stand like that. It's probably vitamin D that you need. <laughs> yeah. And we are all vitamin D deficient. Every doctor I go to, every time I get blood work, they're like, your vitamin D is low, like everybody else. And something like that. I
2: think too, I like this light and sunlight too. Like I've noticed um like the east and the west, right? Like And being like in the eastern part of my house, right? Like Mm. that's where I do my stretching in the morning and the sun rises, right? And it just brings me up to like face the day. And then my office is on the east side of the house. The bedroom, this actually used to be the nursery. So it would wake the kids up and that used to drive me bonkers. Um, But their, (laughs) their bedrooms are in the west. And I've noticed like at the end of the day when I come home, like and I just want to sit for a minute and catch my breath before I start making dinner I'll go in the west like we've got a living room um on the west side of the house right and so like I do I hear this like there's something with light Mm -hmm. right there's something with sunlight and mornings afternoons and kind of where you are and where you naturally like orient yourself to yeah
0: yeah I think there's like very definitely research about circadian rhythms and the light and all that I'm not good at any of that but I think that might be what you're speaking of in terms of like reacting with the sun and and moving in a natural way this is the you know I think about like you mentioned like Native American uh, tribes and it's like again I don't want to sleep outside but when I think about like how people used to live there was no electricity, like you had to react to the sun and the moon and things like that. And that, again, thought with no period. But
1: yeah. But I mean, even if you just think about like artificial spaces, right, even, Mm -hmm. you know, there's something about being in a space that's natural, that's less manufactured. Like, you know, like you can tell. And it's not necessarily about it being whether indoors or outdoors. But to me, there are kind of spaces where you can tell that have been composed naturally, if that makes any sense, with like people's feelings. I get, maybe the word I'm looking for is artificial, like, Mm -hmm. right, like when you're in an artificial place, a place that doesn't seem real, I think that has an effect on your, on how you move. Like for, I think probably for all of us, wherever we call home feels very real. And so, that's a thing that you react to right so like you know if you if you like there, like i said like you, like more and more i find like going out to and i think maybe the pandemic has kind of brought some of this on too but like just going to stores and stuff you know places where like it's 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 designed for a purpose but it's just real artificial you find that you don't want to spend your time there as you get mm-hmm. older right because i think that's part of why it's a chore to do chores because you're in these places that are just artificial and not very real. Yeah, and so you're always kind of longing for being home, or like even when you're home, building your own spaces mm-hmm. that feel real. I think that that definitely that that space that you build, that physical space, making that physical space real, affects how you feel.
2: Mm-hmm. I, yeah. That's I that resonates with me a ton. As it relates to my classroom, like the classroom where I was in this year, even though I wasn't in person until April, like I had to get in and get the classroom ready in August. And there's a whole ritual, right, behind all of that a cleaning out, a reorganizing, and redistributing, and, you know, sort of getting to know the space. It is, it's like it's a yeah. relationship. You yes. have a relationship with your space, and there were no windows in this room, which I didn't realize at first. Like it was supposed to have been a computer lab. Did your computer lab have windows, Dan? Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. This is an it's it's like an internal room connected to the media center.
1: I don't understand not giving kids light like that whole '70s idea where the like the children don't like all we have like we have this one building in our district. I'm totally it has no windows. It was like one of those at all. It was one of those '70s high schools that apparently they built. It was supposed to be energy efficient and the main, I think maybe the newer additions, but it has no windows.
0: That and sounds I'm like, horrible. I'm like, who said,
1: who thought this was a good idea?
2: No. So we did an experiment, Stan, because we were like, what can survive in this environment?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and we bought a bunch of different plants and we tried sun therapy, whatever. I mean, it got us through till the end, but I moved classrooms this year. Yeah. So I'm doing that same thing, like what you were talking about, sort of making, you know, the, making the space your own, cleaning, going through, but this one has windows and I'm, it's east facing, which is going to be great. Yeah. We'll get the morning sun, but yeah. It, yeah. You do, I, I would feel different too. Like the other thing I noticed by the end of the day, I was so depleted. Yeah. And I would just get in my car and I would drive home and it, it's a quick drive. It was a 10 minute drive. But by the time I got home, I'm like, what? I feel totally different. And it was just <laughs> like, being outside.
1: Yeah. And, and not seeing. having windows. Yeah. Yeah. Being We're able to, that. yeah. <laughs> being able to like, even, like you said, just visually interacting with the world. Like <laughs> kids need to look out of a window. Like,
0: and it's a shame that we have to say that. Yeah. <laughs> that should be a thing. Um, all right. Well, any closing thoughts on place, space, how your place has affected your life, your destiny, mental, emotional, spiritual?
1: I think what's interesting, because like, we, right, we all met in Atlanta and you two are gone and I'm still here. And one of the things I think about a lot is just that, for me, how Atlanta became home, in a lot of sense, like, like, ultimately, Alabama and Huntsville and Triana, that's, that's home, but Atlanta is a different kind of home for me, and I, like I said, I think in some ways, it spoiled me, because I think, I like the, I like the, I guess maybe the idea of Atlanta is what I love about it, is just this place where there are a diversity of people, mm-hmm. you can see people who, where you can see Black folks at all levels, at all. Like for me, Atlanta is one of the one places where it is possible as a Black person to kind of escape, like you don't ever escape it, but to kind of escape the everydayness of racism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Particularly for me, I work with mostly Black people. You know, that's, that, that's mostly my milieu. And so for me, I think that's been an important part of the place. And it's kind of helped me to become who I am, you know, just as a person. So just an interest, just, you know, and I'm just curious about your thoughts about, you know, how, like I said, you guys are both away from here. So just curious about your thoughts about where you are now and how that kind of relates.
0: Yeah, I'll go because Atlanta did what you, what you spoke of in terms of just the density of black people and the like expressions of blackness that are there had so much to do with who I am now. And like I said, I did a ton of growing up in Atlanta, um, moved there when I was 22 left when I was 36. So that, I mean, that's like a huge time where you're like figuring out who you are, especially having grown up in almost in mostly white spaces, and then choosing a college that was mostly white, um, you know, there was like some tension in that transition of coming from mostly white spaces, you being used to being like the, the pepper and the salt, and then coming to Atlanta, where I had so much to learn, right? I did like black one-on-one with Stan. <laughs> He's like, watch these movies. I'm like, okay, Stan, I will. Um, and so, I feel like that's where I really got comfortable in my skin as a black person. Like, I think I I would like to say that I was comfortable in my skin before that, but I think I really tapped into like who I was as an African-American in this country, started to when I was there. Um, just because of the safety of what you said of that, like the lowering of the the amount of racial, racist, racist interactions that you have. Um, and, you know, San in particular, you know, meeting and becoming friends with you had a ton to do with that because, you know, we've talked about this before, like your ability to code switch was like, <laughs> that, that was really the first time I had seen that in that way. And you did it with such authenticity that I was like, Oh no, he's not, he's not putting on like, these, <laughs> this is all San. Like, And in this one person, I was like, there's just all these expressions of blackness. And so it was like very cool. And then you were just so in ways that some other people were not so sort of kind to me about where I was in my identity development. And, you know, we always joke about like the black people we would be around who would like say a black thing and I didn't know about it. And they'd be like, like, how do you not know about this? And you would just be like. Like I always, I always felt like I need to sit next to you <laughs> with certain people. I'd be like, "Yeah, I don't know about that." You're like, it, "It's okay." And yeah, I, was like, I mean, <laughs> I'm like, you would like whisper to me what it was. I'm like, "Oh, I can have like an appropriate reaction, then I can ask you later." Yeah, really, what is it, and I can engage with it later. So that was very important to who I am today. And then, you know, as an aside, like that's where I really leaned into my identity as a graphic designer, going to SCAD. Um, but then I think that that work that I did there, some intentional, some not intentional, helped me in my move to Miami, which has a totally different racial hierarchy. And yeah. I had no idea about that when I moved here, none. Yeah. I, it was like, what, what happened? <laughs> yeah, I was like, these people look white. You're like, they're not. I was like, oh, okay talk to me about these people who look white who are not white and why they are being racist to me and and yeah so it was very it's fascinating it's also terrifying to move at 36
2: by yourself
0: absolutely terrifying and so I think that like I said before like that ability to like be at home and myself um as, as I went for this you know as part of my achievement orientation went for this job that I had always wanted right like I was like I've always wanted this job I I'm going to, I went to Miami to do it. Um, That ability to like be home where I was was super important. And then meeting Lance had every, I mean, had everything to do with me now really feeling like this is home and his family. Now my family is here and the home that we've created, you know, just us for now, cross a finger or something. Um, I don't know all of that has defined by like the actual, those movements. Yeah. Um, and the, like, I experienced a ton of growth moving here, ton of growth moving to Atlanta. Um, so yeah, place, uh, geography has has had everything to do with like my destiny, being able to start my business. Um, you know, I, I mean, one very simple thing is the fact that I have wanted to start my own business for a long time, but my question was always like, how will I have insurance? <laughs> And then I get fired during a pandemic and I'm married. So I'm like, oh, cool. I'll just hop on his insurance. Like, that's a wonderful privilege that solved that problem really easily. So yeah, lots of transitions, lots of uh, roots planted along the way. Yeah, I think
2: um, thinking about Atlanta, specifically in those four years of my life. And that place, I think it illuminated for me, um, I love water. And I just remember mm. like, there was the Chattahoochee River National Park,
1: yeah. like
2: yeah. way up in, I can't even remember. Um, and I remember going there, right? It, and, and the other thing that I remember um, was just volume of, of people I think as I've learned more about myself, I think I am a bit of an empath, like I feel other people's feelings. Mm. Um, And so it can be really overwhelming for me to be in like large groups um, because I, because I, I feel things and I'm like, where is this coming from? (laughs) I don't know, it's stressful. (laughs) So I think, um, I think I realized that in Atlanta, like there were just so many people all the time and there was no water. <laughs> I, <think laughs> I just needed now, to be outside. <laughs> so it was landlocked. And I didn't know that about myself, right? So it illuminated that for me. The other thing that I realized, there, there are a couple things. One thing that I realized in that particular place, everything in Atlanta felt so polarized to me. Um, and I grew up in the mid-Atlantic. My dad was an immigrant. Um, and you know, I grew up in in a home where um, Italian was spoken. Well, Sicilian um, was spoken. It's a dialect. Um, you know, English, and then my extended family—all my uncles married Venezuelan women, and so we would go up to Reading all the time and be with them. And so there were lots lots of different language. And um, so I think for me, when I came to Atlanta, well, and I went to school in North Carolina. Um, but Atlanta, just it just felt so one way or the other, politically, like everything, racially, like everything. It was this or that, right? Mm-hmm. And that, to me, was the first time that I felt that polarization. And, and looking back n- n- now, you know, <laughs> fast forward to you know, <laughs> 2021, I'm like, wait a minute, it's probably been that way forever, right? Like everywhere mm-hmm. um, in this country, it just... That was the first time that I that it was right there. And, yes. and then I got to make choices, right? About how to respond to that. And, you know, and where are you in in this place of polarization? Um, and that was a really interesting journey. And then I, I remember, Stan, again, thinking about place. I, 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 and correct me if this memory is wrong or right, but I remember cooking dinner one night. And I remember this was early, early on and we we were having conversations because at that point in my life we've gone through like diversity trainings and stuff like that with Teach for America and I remember holding on to this belief that you know my father immigrated and assimilated and and he worked so hard and I remember lovingly in, in the context of friends like ec- exploring this idea that it was different for him because he was perceived as being white and that was my first time really exploring this idea of white privilege. And, and, and I just remember feeling you know, safe and loved and able to have those conversations um, over dinner and over, which is like what people do, yeah. right? Like you eat, yeah. you connect. And so that was something else that I remember about um, that place. And being able to take that with me then, right, to to DC. DC was different though, because I was in a much more um, it was a much more homogeneous school. It was a much more homogeneous um staff, honestly. It was it so it was it was just it was a little different. Um and things were a little, politically at least, w- the circles in which I was, it was it was just, it was a little different. Then the Eastern Shore, this feels a little more, n- n- now it does feel much more polarized. Um, and so some of the lessons that I learned in Atlanta, I need, I'm applying now to the work that I'm doing and the way that um, it's just interesting professionally, you know, things that I'm seeing, interactions between staff and students, interactions between staff and staff, Um, and the way that I respond to my students. um, And I'm in a part of the county where I think this particular part of the county is the only part that even has students of color. Um, Yeah, and and (laughs) this particular county has not done any type of um, targeted uh, professional development around any like racism or they don't even have like diversity or include like the words that were used like 20 yeah. years ago like I'm aren't even remember. a part of things because and 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 what I've heard from people who've been here through all of this is well we don't have that population in this county and I'm like and that's exactly why you need it like that like yes. like just because you don't have a kid of color in your school doesn't mean that they don't need it. like it's yeah like this just... whole thing there are also layers of political things where we are on the Eastern Shore, um, but I am so thankful for like all of the places that are in my heart because, again, I'm able to <laughs> do some things differently yeah. in the spheres that I can control.
1: Yeah, and I think now that you have me thinking about that, I think that that's one of the thing that things that was really cool about that time period when you guys were here is that we really did have a lot, like we use the word diversity very loosely, but there was like a very, we did between the three of us and the people that we knew, Mm -hmm. we had a very diverse in the actual sense of the word, not just that people were black, that people were white, but that people had different religions, people had different experiences. And so I did, I think that we kind of, and you and Allison, like just like the birthday party, like you, the thing that you guys have in common for people who don't know is that you guys like to make, spaces for people to be comfortable like y'all are good at that like i was at your house because you both like to cook so i just remember being at your apartment or at your house all the time eating and just yeah and just like <laughs> no i do i totally do you guys know you cooked all the time and i was over there freeloading um <laughs> but a I'm donation
0: think- cup by the door
1: <laughs> yeah but i'm thinking about that because i'm thinking about like you said and so we were able to create that space where we can have those conversations with humor, mm-hmm. with intelligence, mm-hmm. knowing, where, knowing that everybody came from a genuine place. And it was, you know, like you said, with that diversity of experience in the true sense of the word. Yeah. And that was a like, I don't, like you said, thinking back on that now, like, I don't know if you could do that now just because people are so polarized, but we were able to have that experience in that place that I think was really unique Yeah. And and fun.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. Well, on that note, thank you guys for that conversation. Um, what's up for you, Christina?
2: What's up for me? Well, I um there's a book that I have been meaning to pre-order for the past couple weeks, and that's my goal this week is to um order it off Amazon. It's called Eat Like a Human. And Mm -hmm. um our neighbor slash friend is a professor of anthropology and he um he and his whole family have started this whole like modern stone age food movement um and he did this like documentary on um oh goodness I think it's called like a human Mm -hmm. Uh, on no it was something else it was uh, anyway um he so he he basically is an anthropologist that studies how um people's humans diets have changed over time and how that has affected um, like their brain development and sort of it's this relationship between humans and food right and so Uh his goal as you know this anthropologist is to kind of take what we have around us um, and try to eat in a way that is as close to our ancestors as possible so that we can get the maximum nourishment from the food so for me when I was after I gave birth to Joey, I dealt with like some pretty debilitating like postpartum, like back and neck issues. I fell um, when I was pregnant with him and I was holding dahlia. So there's all this degeneration and stuff that happened in my spine. And one of the recommendations that my doctor had was to go on this paleo AIP diet to help reduce inflammation. And so around the same time, I was starting to stay home. Um know with my son and so I attended a couple lectures that um this this Dr. Bill Schindler gave at the college about this different approach to eating and to food and to nourishment and so I got really interested obviously um like how, how can I use food to help heal my body um and so anyway we've learned a ton from him and his family they are all wonderful um Jason's butchered a deer with him he had never like killed a deer ever in his life and like went out went hunting, butchered the deer. His son is like butchers, Billy um, butchers. um, His daughter just um, created a sourdough uh, bakery called Rise during the pandemic um, and was like donating sourdough loaves to like food pantries and stuff like that. Um, But basically the process of the sourdough, it like pre-digests the like Flour and the gluten, so it actually helps your body to access mm. the food. So a lot of people who are gluten intolerant can eat sourdough um, because it's sort of pre-pre done for them. And then they have this other process called nixtamalization, where you nixtamalize corn. And so Dr. Dr. Schindler has traveled to I can't remember where in Mexico, um, but to 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 places right where they still practice these traditional forms of food preparation and learned about them. But basically, the nixtamalization of the corn allows that to be digestible for humans. Um, because really we're not, our, our intestines are not designed to eat corn. Mm. Um, and so you can eat it all day, but like, you're not going to get any of the nutrients from it because your body's not actually digesting it unless it's nixomalized. So anyway, this book is called eat like a human and I, it has recipes and all kinds of things, but it's I, I have really, Jason and I both have learned a ton from Bill and his family, and um, I could not recommend it more. So that is on my list for this week. Pre-order the book, it comes out on November 16th. All
1: right. That sounds
0: fascinating. You might have to grab that. That's I fascinating. Know. Stan, what's up for you?
1: <laughs> Nothing nearly as, as as informative or beneficial. I have been watching TikTok dances. Sir on so well really i've been watching like reels and they come from tiktok
0: (laughs) i mean it's just it's just crazy like i get what does this have to do with the the black creator strike okay well are they back making dances do you have you heard about the strike yeah i heard about the strike this is
1: i guess these i don't know if these were dances before the strike Well, and A, they're not all, like one of them, the fancy like is a country dance that country people, country music folks. You said country people. People who (laughs) like country music, I should say. Um, And then like the the reason I, the coincidence, which is the other one, is because I saw two Dancing with the Stars people do it. And I was like, this is funny. And then like people, it's just funny to watch people do these dances. Because like you start with like the people who actually create the dance, and then it just kind of goes downhill from there. <laughs> so it's kind of funny to watch people like not do them not well.
0: Uh huh.
1: And I mean, it's just it's just something I do to pass the time. I'm like that's
0: hilarious. How then, do you know, find them? Does the ag- algorithm like push yeah, them to once, you once you once start? You,
1: once you see one, okay. then on your on your search, it's gonna always show up.
0: Okay. Well, you should link some in the show notes. Some of the good ones. I will. I will. Or the or the delightfully the good, bad. bad ones. Yeah. Yes,
1: I will. I will do that. Yeah. What about you?
0: Um. So you all know that I listen to really, I don't like the word weird, but folks have called the music that I listen to weird. And so I, again, Spotify's algorithm pushes me this music. And so in my, I listen to my Discover Weekly religiously, like every Monday morning I click it and <clears throat> I try to give it like a full pass. Liking the songs that I like. Some songs are so good that I have to click right into the album and then listen. And literally this week, I got to a song. It was so good. I went to the album and I listened to the album the rest of the week. I don't even think I went back to my Discover Weekly. Oh, wow. And I'm warning you in advance if you look it up, you probably won't like it. It's weird. It's called, this group is called Novo Amore. And uh, my friend Eric named the type of music that I like Doors Off the Track, which Doors Off the Track is his like rude way to make up like a fake band name. And in preparation, I was trying to think like, what is Doors Off the Track? Doors Off the Track is hipstery music that is typically quiet and soft with lush instrumentals and melodramatic lyrics. That so, I made that up, but I feel good about that. Um, so anyway, Novo Moore is what Spotify led me to. And I'm obsessed. Like it doesn't match. And I mean, in, in my apartment, it works great while I'm working, but like in the car, you know, I'm driving around Miami. It's hot. You know, the windows down, the music does not match. It's like quiet. There's like some, some guy singing falsetto and there's like, you know, electric guitar in the back. It's not, it's weird. It's weird, but Novo Amor is what I'm deeply into this week. Wow. Don't look it up. Save yourself. save yourself save yourself <laughs> the trouble um all right well that's it for this episode thank you guys so much for this conversation it's been Great. amazing. um here we go support for this podcast comes from lilacs on new york creative studios
1: the family meeting is produced by me and allison
0: our theme song is by will salua and it is entitled 135th and coffee
1: Tina how can people get in contact
0: People are more than welcome to
2: send me an email, Christina.Kupani at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, Christina Kupani Jarvie.
1: You can find the show notes on what we discussed, including links posted in the blog section on lilacsonyork.com.
0: And you can keep up with the show on Instagram at lilacsonyork and on Twitter at The Framley Meeting. You can also now watch us have these conversations on the Lilacs on York channel on YouTube. You can find me on social at Allison K. Mason on IG and Twitter, even though I do not tweet.
1: You can find me on social at Twice 11 on IG and Twitter,
0: even though I do not post on IG. Thanks for listening. Meet you here next week.